This is the Iyer What Now podcast, in which Mary Thompson and Jerry Thompson explore Ayurvedic principles and make them easy to understand so that you can benefit from this amazing health science. We're glad you're here. Hi, this is Mary Thompson. I'm here with my brother, Jerry Thompson, and we are Iyer What Now? And today we are going to be, oh, let's see, I'm going to pause that, back up, reverse it, and say, hi, Jerry, how are you doing today? Hi, hey, I'm doing pretty good. Um, it's good to see you again, Mary. Yeah, it's good to see you. I'm, I'm happy to have a conversation today. I think we talked about, maybe talk about like medications and stuff, like Ayurveda mm-hmm. could be used by somebody who's actually on medication without interfere with their medication. And maybe we can start with that conversation and see where it goes. Sure. I, I'd like to uh, talk about the medications I'm on for that matter. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. So I think the first thing I'd want to say is that Ayurveda, especially in the U.S., is not intended to replace your licensed medical practitioner. And it's, you know, an Ayurvedic practitioner should not be giving you advice on your medications that have been prescribed by your doctor or for some other healthcare professional. And if they are, they're kind of stepping out of line because Ayurveda in the U.S. especially, like I say, in India, it might be a little bit different, but in the U.S., it's a dietary and lifestyle practice. You know, it's not intended to um, replace the medications that you're on. And the other thing, my rule of thumb is always that if someone is on medication for a particular problem that mm-hmm. I don't recommend herbs to work on that same body system. So it's not in uh, conflict or uh, um, it, 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 the, the herbs might upset the uh, medication itself or maybe embellish it, making it more than it was supposed to be. Exactly. You can go either of those two problems, one that it negates the effect of the medication, or like you said, that it maximizes the effect of the medication. So I'm always really cautious with that. And the other thing that a practitioner should do is if you're on medication and they want to recommend some herb to you, um, just check in with them that are they have they run a search to make sure that there's no known contraindications for the use of that herb with that medication that you're on. Yeah. That reminds me when I was um, teaching nursing that I'd always uh, encourage, you know, tell the students that they needed to uh, recognize a person taking herbs or over-the-counter medications or anything of that nature, that they need to uh, encourage the person to report that to their uh, doctor so that there isn't any kind of uh, interaction with them. And I'd use the uh, example of um, St. John's wort, which is an herb that uh, can increase your uh, serotonin level and then if somebody is um, depressed and is getting um, uh, antidepressants that are based on raising your serotonin level that they can get uh, serotonin syndrome and as one example that i'm familiar with but i'm sure there's Mm -hmm. hundreds of examples of uh, herbs that have an effect Mm -hmm. on your blood pressure or something else that uh, uh, can interfere with the medications you're taking yeah. yeah, and some sometimes they have unintended effects. There's the serotonin syndrome where you get that rise in serotonin levels, and that can be actually detrimental. Yeah. Um, but there's also some possible side effects that you want to be aware of. That in some types of birth control medication, St. John's oh. wort 
mm-hmm. can counteract the effectiveness of the birth control. No. Yeah. So, so I always say, so you thought you were depressed now. I was just thinking that. <laughs> so you might be taking it for some other system, but you should always check any of the meds you're on. It's not, I guess that's a big important point that it's not just the one system that, as I said before, like I don't like to work with an herb that's going to affect the system while you're on a medication for the system. And that would be like St. John's wort has an effect on serotonin levels and on depression. And so it gets recognized for that. But if you're already on antidepressants, then it may increase the effect uh, that, you know, beyond the point that you want to have it happen. But sometimes herbs, I wouldn't necessarily think about, oh, you're on birth control. I should run St. John's Ward against it to see what's what's happening, you know, if Mm -hmm. there's an, an impact. But it's always a good idea to check all the medications against any of the herbs that you're mm-hmm. going to take in a medicinal dose. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so if a person wanted to have a cup of peppermint tea, they don't have to run peppermint against everything that they're <laughs> taking because you're not going to take it in what they call a medicinal dose where it's going to have a huge impact on the functioning of the system. Um, rather it's going to be more what I refer to as a culinary dose, which is more like what you might get with cooking. Mm-hmm. And there are, some rare exceptions, but for the most part, if you take an herb at the amount you might have with your meal, that'd be like a half teaspoon or less, you're not going to impact a body system. You're not going to impact its effect overall. So that's another thing to be aware of. And now with a half teaspoon, you may still get some benefit. Is, it, is mm-hmm. that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. Yes. But generally a half teaspoon is going to have an effect possibly on raising your digestive fire increasing mm-hmm. the flow of blood a little bit, but not to the point that it creates too much thinning of the blood. It might increase blood flow to the brain, but not so much that you're going to have any kind of negative consequence because of that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our culinary spices, which we'll do another podcast, we'll talk all about our culinary spices, but a lot of them are antiparasitic. So Whoa. it's so it's really interesting. Like the amount you get with your food helps to destroy any pathogens that might be present in your food. It's mm-hmm. not going to be like strong enough if you had a parasite to get rid of the parasite, but mm-hmm. it is strong enough to address that sauce that you're eating or that food that you're eating. Hmm. Good. And, you know, I think, again, when I think about herbs with medication, a lot of people, when they say Ayurveda, they're mm-hmm. thinking of Ayurvedic herbs. Mm-hmm. And now if people have been listening to earlier podcasts, you know that Ayurveda is not a particular thing it's like all its quality mm-hmm. so if i say something is an ayurvedic herb it's kind of like any herb could be an ayurvedic herb whether it's an indian herb or not it just if i look at cinnamon for example mm-hmm. it's got it's hot and it's sweet and it's stimulating and so i could look at these qualities and then i could say who will benefit from that or what kind of conditions will benefit from that mm-hmm. So if you go into a place and you see like a like a store and they've got a shelf of Ayurvedic herbs, it doesn't mean that every herb is right for every person because it's Ayurvedic. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, that it's one that you've got to kind of check and see what's its impact. And we're talking today about if you're already on a medication, then you want to be judicious about what you put into your body as far as herbs go, especially if it's like an herb capsule or some 
supplement mm -hmm. that you're going to take in a little higher dose. Mm -hmm. yeah, again, so if someone's on medication, then the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to run a check with the yeah. herb. Is it contraindicated against this medication? Way back when, 20 years ago, when I started practicing Ayurveda, I had books that had this information in it. Yeah. And every year, the nursing association would release a new publication with herbal interactions, known herbal interactions with medication. Mm -hmm. And I just think they couldn't keep up anymore with mm -hmm. all the different meds on the market, all the different herbs on the market. So now I do Google searches and yeah. I try to try to check out, maybe do a couple of different search engines and to look and see what's, make sure that I'm not going to be recommending anything that's going to have a negative impact. Now, when you say a Google search, because there's so much on the internet, as there are some websites that you find to be reliable and some that should be avoided? Oh, that's a tricky question. I'd have to go back and look at them. I, I generally like WebMD. Okay. On a complete side note, I was in a doctor's office and they had a magazine that was mm -hmm. the WebMD magazine. Oh. And I said, I said, it's kind of is weird. It's like WebMD, but here it is in print. <laughs> <laughs> but I yeah. like WebMD. Um, uh -huh. I like the Mayo Clinic. Okay. Um, PubMed is a, a place that publishes a lot yeah. of medical research. And so they often have people that have done studies on the effectiveness of herbs. Those would be my three probably most trusted. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I'd have to look back and see. Um, there's a number of them that I look at. Mm -hmm. If if I find, like I'm doing a search for an herb, say I'm using cinnamon and I'm mm -hmm. looking against someone's um, blood uh, diabetes management, because one thing that cinnamon can do is reduce blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And so maybe someone's on insulin and I do this, search of cinnamon with insulin and maybe I find some places that say it's fine and some places that say it's a problem mm -hmm. then then you want to go deeper on the ones that say it's a problem I kind of I'm looking for a consensus yeah and then right. I might want to look and say what dosage do I want to use is this does this mean I can't put cinnamon on my french toast no <laughs> it means I don't want to take so much cinnamon right so, is Ayurveda safe when someone's on medication? Yes. Are herbs always safe when someone's on medication? No. But usually, trying to think if I want to ex extend that beyond that, but I'd say usually culinary herbs and spices, not a problem. Even if you see that, oh, this was contraindicated, the amount you're going to get with food is, is minimal um, unless you're taking it every day, all day. Um, I wouldn't worry about a culinary effect. So what do you do if you're if you're practicing Ayurveda and you want to work with someone and they're on medication, say they've got, well, we'll go back to diabetes because that's kind of common. And I'm thinking of type 2 diabetes or the um, the one where it's not insulin dependent. Right, right. That they related. It's actually related back more to diet and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So Ayurvedic approaches to dietary changes, lifestyle modifications, Basically, looking at the diet, making sure that the person's eating a diet that's going to help regulate blood sugar, looking at their activity level, making sure their activity level is one that's going to help with metabolism and regulation of blood sugar. These are all perfectly safe to do. 
mm-hmm. while someone is on medication. Of course, yeah, it, it's sort of a holistic approach, not just mm-hmm. treating them with meds, but rather lifestyle and diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then earlier you mentioned um, depression medication. Mm-hmm. What It's funny to think of this as being kind of cutting edge, but I remember reading an article where a doctor said he was doing this cutting edge work with people with depression yeah. and was seeing them come off their medication. And he was having them clean up their diet. He was having them engage in daily exercise. He mm-hmm. was having them get out in the nature and out in the sun every day. He was having them develop a support group that they could check in with and socialize with. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had, I, I, I was in a running group and one of the uh, women there was a um, psychologist and she had a private mm-hmm. practice. And she started doing hikes as therapy and would, mm-hmm. you know, they would talk and stuff, but get out in nature and, and felt that that was just getting away and, and hiking in a, uh, a natural environment was uh, part of what she would have as her uh, um, regimen for people and, and and encourage them to get more to go jogging or something, but actually would hike with them on a uh, um, weekly basis. And and people felt that it was paying off. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it makes yeah. a huge difference. And, and I mm-hmm. think we discount, I, I, I think as a culture, mm-hmm. we've looked towards medications or herbs or supplements or anything as the fit Mm-hmm. when the fix is diet and lifestyle, you know, it's, yeah. it's like engaging. I think, especially with, with depression and psychological issues, it's engaging with uplifting people who are, mm-hmm. who are going to help us because it's a rabbit hole, right? We just, if we only have our own thoughts, mm-hmm. they're going to keep bringing us down, down, down. And then someone else says, Hey, look up. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> there's something <laughs> going on. Um, if someone says that there's hypertension medication, mm-hmm. then you could look at what the huge effect, many effects, it's, there's diet can have a huge effect on management of hypertension, mm-hmm. um, meditation practices, stress reduction practices. And these are all things that a person can do while they're on medication. Right. Um, I had a client one time who was on blood pressure medication and she found like when she meditated, her her blood pressure just dropped way, way, way low. And she realized that a big part that was driving her hypertension was stress, but she didn't feel like she could address those outside stresses. You know, it was financial stresses and family stresses and things that she she really yes. couldn't didn't feel like she could calm enough. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I mean, there certainly is that. So it didn't hurt doing the Ayurvedic practices. It didn't interfere with her medication at all, but it didn't replace it. Yeah. But she had yeah. moments of calm in between uh, life stressors. Yes. Yeah. And so. And it's, it's what, t- where society's gone. It, it is, yeah. There's so many stresses now that yeah, mm-hmm. have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Did you, so- want, did you want to talk any about some of the medications you were on, not to out yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was hoping to. Um, how about I, I get uh, statins for my cholesterol. I take a photon uh, um, pump inhibitor to help prevent the production of a gastric acid, which um, it, it basically neutralizes my um, 
stomach acid. It, it, it's Prilosec is the uh, brand, but uh, I, I take um, Flomax to because I have an enlarged prostate. So uh, that's basically it. Let me think if there's mm -hmm. anything else. And then I, I take vitamins over the counter but, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, turmeric. And yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> my liver and uh, and uh, hopefully uh, postpone uh, dementia. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I'm pretty sure that's that's about it. But I had the statins, the uh, uh, gastric uh, suppression, and mm -hmm. uh, prostate. Are there herbs that can um, either supplement that or um, that I can inform my doctor that I'm considering? <laughs> yeah, actually, the, well, let me let me pick up. Wrote the list down. Think like mm -hmm. of statins. Yes. So Ayurveda looks at plaque deposits and cholesterol increase as a kapha dosha imbalance. Okay. So kapha dosha is responsible when we're overproducing something that the body then has to try and find a way to manage. Mm -hmm. And so the, I don't know about the direct action of the statins, but so Ayurveda would look at what can we do to help reduce some of the kapha that's going mm -hmm. on. And then we would look at the diet, see where is kapha in the diet and the lifestyle. One of the things we know from talking to you over time is like you've got more vata. So what's this kapha doing? Yeah. <laughs> and what's this, how is this kapha coming in? And yeah. it's it's kind of a tricky concept to think that the doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha, are tools that the body uses to maintain balance. Okay. So if you had a condition of dryness in the body, the body might manufacture the kapha dosha in order to pacify that dryness. Mm -hmm. So what's tricky, and this gets into that kind of Ayurvedic assessment qualities, is I always want to know the background. I want to know the person that I'm talking to. And so with you, because I know you've got more vata and pitta, you're not really very what I call kaphagenic. You don't, you don't spend a lot of time lounging. You're very active. You're not as sedentary. Um, your diet's pretty pretty much lighter. You're not eating a lot of heavy, moist, dense foods. So I have to look at what other doshas might be involved. Okay. So it's it's kind of a different concept. The idea that I could have a vata dosha imbalance, but my symptom could look like kapha. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's that becomes tricky, but it's still going to be the same treatment as treat the dosha that's out of balance, which is actually for you, I believe, the vata which okay. is, you know, pacifying the dryness that's in the body because the body produces moisture kind of to protect you from the mm. dryness. It produces the cholesterol to protect us from this potential damage to the blood vessel. So that's the kapha that's trying to get me not to be too vata. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's, you know, it's funny to think of the doshas like that, but they're always trying to create balance for you. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this part was before I disappeared or not, but it's like knowing you, you don't create a lot of kapha. You're not sedentary. You don't have a heavy, moist, dense diet. You're not creating the kapha. So then we have to think about why is it there? Where does that come from? Mm -hmm. With the hyperacidity, mm -hmm. oh, let me back up and say then, so what I would recommend if you were my client, there's there are some herbs that can work with cholesterol levels and not interfere with statins. 
And one of them I mentioned earlier was cinnamon. Oh, cinnamon. And okay. one that you mentioned earlier was turmeric. Mm-hmm. So these are herbs that can be safely taken alongside statins to support the body in its reduction of cholesterol, and they won't interfere with the statins. Now, I take uh, about two teaspoons a day of mm-hmm. uh, turmeric. What would be a, a realistic amount of um, cinnamon? I would start low. I would go like a half teaspoon. Half a teaspoon. Okay. And see how that and and. You know, you probably won't see any effect, but then after a while, if that doesn't interfere, because you've also got the excess acidity. Mm-hmm. And cinnamon and turmeric are both more alkaline, not so acidic. They shouldn't drive acidity. But what's tricky is we tend to think of acids and we think of pitta. Mm-hmm. And so you have a secondary pitta. You've got some pitta in your constitution. So maybe that's a part of it. Do you notice that your acidity is worse with things like oranges or tomatoes? Oh, you do a lot of tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's that's probably why I have to take the meds. (laughs) But do you notice it with specific foods? Like if it's pretty acidic, it's worse? Or is it kind of at any Um, time? Not necessarily. You know, things that would really get it going is... um, Like uh, bell peppers or uh, peppers... uh, and uh, yeah, I, uh, okay. you know, I, I I probably should be more cautious, uh, uh, aware, of, uh, conscious of, of what it is, but not. It, it, well, what happens now is I take medication that suppresses it. You, you know, I also have a hiatal hernia, which is uh-huh. a, a part of the um, reason I I'm aware of it. I think it, mm-hmm. I think the way it was explained that it's not so much that I'm making extra acid, but I'm getting it to a part of my esophagus where it's causing uh, distress. Yeah, rather than staying in my stomach. Yeah, that's the way it is with a lot of people with with hyperacidity or heartburn. Is it's more of the movement, like maybe there's a weakness in the esophageal sphincter, or in your case, there's the hiatal hernia where the part of the mm-hmm. stomach extends through the diaphragm, and so it gets pinched and painful. Yeah, and so. Knowing hiatal hernia, then we're looking at yoga recommendations, things to kind of stretch out and extend. Um, yeah. I, it's No one can see me doing this, but like leaning back, there's postures like camel where you just open up the chest and lean back and kind of kind of create space there mm-hmm. to pull the, to try and separate the diaphragm from where the stomach is. Hmm. Uh, so often we sit and we hunch a little bit and that can oh, be yeah. problematic. So mm-hmm. dropping those shoulders back can be good. Yeah, um, I'm a hunter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we all are. I think it's we become yeah. more and more hunters with the uh, onset of the computer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting, I hunch. Um, looking at the diet, becoming a detective about are there particular things that are worsening the the situation, and seeing how you know minimizing those or changing them. I find like I can't digest green bell peppers. Red and yellow bell peppers, no problem at all. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like having to be that detective. So this is again part of Ayurveda is we try and ascertain what's behind the problem. Like there's the problem, but then there is maybe there is a structural issue like a hiatal hernia or a postural issue mm-hmm. to help give more space to the stomach. It could be dietary and that could be both foods and food habits, like how one eats, what time one eats, um, how bit, how soon they jump back into activity after eating. 
So again, Ayurveda is perfectly safe in changing the diet, changing the lifestyle, doing exercises. You could even bring in um, different methods of uh, sleeping. Like some people will sleep better if they're elevated, if the head is elevated above the feet, if they yeah. have hyperacidity. Mm-hmm. So all these things can be done while the person may, remains on medication to support um, the actual relief of the symptom. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, oh, this I want to mention at this point too. If someone comes into me and they or they come in, I advise all my practitioners that I work with to to do this as well. And they say, I really want to come off fill in the blank medication. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, I always advise them a couple of things. First, I say I want at least six months of them doing Ayurvedic diet and lifestyle before they even think about. It. Mm-hmm. You know, I want them really to change and make sure they're eating the right ways, eating the right times, they're doing that meditation, they're doing exercise, they're doing whatever it is they need to do to counter the causative factors of the condition. And then at the end of the six months, then to approach their medical doctor. They never do it without their medical doctor's awareness of what it is they're doing. And of course, if there was any challenge they had between day one and the end of six months, get Mm -hmm. that doctor involved. We're not trying to replace um, we're trying to be more integrative and to work complementary to the mm-hmm. medical profession. So not leaving their doctor out of the loop, if they want to come off the medication, do the work to remove the cause and then speak to the doctor. At that time is when, if the doctor agrees, they come off the medication, that might be when I come in with some herbs to work on the same thing. Yeah. So say they've been on blood pressure medication, they've changed their diet, they've They've quit drinking, they're meditating, they're exercising, their weights come down, they've done all this great stuff for themselves. And they go and they say, I'm ready to come off of them. Once they come off the medication, that's when I might bring in an herb that works with helping to regulate blood pressure. Right. And then I, and really, I don't, and I hope your practitioner doesn't, if you talk to another Ayurvedic practitioner, we don't want you to move from a medication to an herb. We want you to move basically from a medication Maybe an herb is a crutch for a little while, and then to diet and lifestyle being your your treatment. Yeah, and, and, and it should it, be in steps, like titrated or you know, go yes, ten percent less every month or something, and mm-hmm. whatever it's they definitely. Yeah. yeah, whatever schedule they work out with their doctor. Right, you know, exactly. Yeah, is uh, we want that to be a healthy switch because what I've seen happen uh, more often than I care to admit is I advise people of that in a month or so, they're feeling better. So mm-hmm. they stop their medication. They don't tell their doctor and they crash. Their symptoms worsen and mm-hmm. and the whole thing. And I've just seen this happen again and again. And so I try to just really stop people before they do that. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, um, you know, you've been on something for a condition, the body's habituated to the, to the presence of this medication. And mm-hmm. if nothing changes, nothing changes. You can't just say, like if a person was on a medication like the proton pump inhibitor and say, oh, I'm just going to start spicing my food differently. It's it's not enough. You've got to look at the whole the whole package. Mm-hmm. Um, Flomax. Now, this is really interesting because many men over the age of like 45 start to get that enlarged prostate and changes in the flow of urine. Mm-hmm. And again, there are herbs that can help with this. But this would be a situation where I don't typically recommend an herb that's going to increase the flow of urine when someone's already on Flomax. Okay. It's going to help do it. 
Um, this is going to sound like a funny thing. And mm -hmm. I, I learned this from a student who had been taught by his yoga teacher to do each morning to do something he called a perineal tap, which is the perineum is the space. I know you know this. Yeah. <laughs> the perineum <laughs> is the space between the testicles and the anus. And he yeah. would take like two fingers and about 30 times just tap there. Not hard, not creating pain. Okay. Yeah. About yeah. 30 times to increase circulation in the area. Yeah. And um, when I've recommended this to male clients, the ones who have done it have told me that they've seen a dramatic shift. So huh. that's something you can do in addition okay. to the medication that's not going to interfere with the medication at all. Hmm. One theory, this always amazes me that we're still in the age of theory with something like prostate health. Yeah. One theory is it's a lack of circulation in the area because of our, our uh, lifestyle that involves a lot of sitting, putting pressure on the, on the prostate. And so we don't do enough walking and, and moving around. Others say there's other theories that it's just a natural process of aging. Yeah. Um, that now that people are living longer, that they just say, oh, the prostate's always gotten enlarged. It's just people didn't live so long to find out about it. Mm -hmm. Others are. I, whenever I say that you can blame both too much sex and too little sex for a problem, I know that they have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So doshically, an enlarged prostate is often giving credit to cappadocia mm -hmm. um, because of enlargement, but because it's probably got a, a factor of lack of circulation, and that's actually more of a vata thing, more stagnation in the area. Um, or stagnation is more kapha, but vata is responsible for removing things, and when you block it, problems kind of exist. So it's interesting, like your three, the, the conditions that you have are very common conditions in our culture, especially for men as they age. Yeah. Um, and so there's not really dietary things that are recommended for urinary flow, but more mm -hmm. lifestyle, more time. And you're doing this, more time walking, less time sitting, bring in other activities. And then you can always introduce the perineal tap. Okay. <laughs> if you so chose. <laughs> sure so yeah mm -hmm. that's it so kind of is ayurveda safe once on someone's medication yes mm -hmm. is ayurveda a replacement for medication that someone's been on no not unless they're willing to put in the effort to change the diet and the lifestyle in order to remove the causative factors of the imbalance okay and and sometimes those imbalances have been in place for so long that the body has a hard time kind mm -hmm. of recovering from that and habituating to a life without the medication. So then you could look at um, doing the work, seeing if you can reduce the dependency on the medication and working with your medical practitioner. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate too, that you're looking at the holistic view that not just taking an herb is something that's helpful, just like not just taking a medication, but rather lifestyle and uh, your approach and uh, your diet, and uh, all the other things, because they all, interact together to uh, uh, either create the problem or create the solution. Right. Great. Yeah. So do any questions remain for you? Is there anything you think I should have addressed or? Uh, no, not that I can think of. I, I, okay. think, that, I think you got a pretty good summary there. <laughs> okay. Well, great. Well, Jerry, once again, it was great talking to you. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to next week. Okay. Okay, and this is Mary Thompson and Jerry Thompson wishing you good health. Bye now. Thanks for listening. 
If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash iyourwhatnow. You can always find us for free wherever you find your podcasts. And remember to subscribe so you'll have access to the latest episodes. We're glad you're here.